Hi, I'm Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. You can find out more information about Best Life, Best Death on my website, bestlifebestdeath.com. And there I've got information about classes and workshops and all kinds of resources for thinking about end of life while being fully alive. Today, I've got a special guest. My colleague and friend, Lynn Golden, is joining us from Tampa, Florida. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Diane. And Lynn, um, Lynn is just an amazing person with end-of-life care. She's got this um, work that really encompasses so many different aspects. Um, her website is dearlybelovedlife.com. And Lynn is certified as an end-of-life sacred passage doula. She's a conscious dying educator, teaching extensively with the Conscious Dying Institute. And Lynn is also a life cycle celebrant. But she brings this amazing background to this work. Um, she's an artist. She's experienced in yoga, Reiki, massage. And so I love on your website, Lynn, you say, my goal is really to bring meaning to, and sacredness to all transitions. And I just, I just love that idea. So tell us a little bit, like I'm struck when I go to your website, how you really juggle a lot of beautiful pieces for people at the end of life and just kind of describe for us, how does that play out? Wow. I love that introduction. Thanks, Diane. Um, when it comes to end of life work, when we go in to meet a new client, we really don't know what we're going to find. And I find that what this teaches me is to meet people where they're at. And sometimes they need some help with practical things, helping to decide you know, who they wanna give things away to. Um, I might facilitate difficult conversations, help them with words that need to be said. Um, sometimes we'll talk about some forgiveness practices. We might talk about spiritual things as far as maybe they want last rites or they wanna to go to confession or they just need help maybe they feel like they need to reintroduce themselves to their God um, that they maybe grew up with and felt like they, they got disconnected somehow. So we meet people at all of these different places. And what this teaches me is to let go of what I want for them and just see the work that's there and see how I can plug in and help them with that. That makes so much sense because I, I think, you know, you talk also on your website about a doula can kind of impact the body piece, like helping people with physical issues. A, a doula can be there for the spirit piece, as you mm -hmm. said, and the intellectual piece, kind of thinking through, like, are there other pieces of their life legacy or meaning that they want to bring? Yes. And then there's the emotional piece. Um, my last podcast, I talked about seagull syndrome, and that was kind of a fun one to think about, like, how do we communicate effectively as families and friends for these big transitions. Mm -hmm. And then you also talked about just on your website, again, you say, you know, there's the practical level, but I, I think sometimes it's interesting. It's like, sometimes people call in hospice or palliative care or an end of life doula for the practical level. And then they drop in, like there's this whole other sense of possibility of what can happen at that time. Yes. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. I I love the work that hospice does. And I feel like doulas and hospice are a great team. I think we're a bridge from the hospice to the patient. Now the hospice's role is really still a medical role. And even though they may have emotional support that their focus is a medical one. And what I find that as people get closer to death, 
I see it as they become less physical beings and more spiritual beings, which is why, you know, you might hear stories of people talking about how, you know, the veil is thin at that time where there may be talk of ancestors. They may be seeing things and feeling things that we can't see or hear or feel. Um, What I've learned in those moments is to really lean in to those moments because uh, and maybe this is a selfish thing, but when the veil is thin and they're seeing and feeling, I, I want to lean into that and and see, you know, the beauty in that as well. And I'm a bit surprised at what's possible in those those last days when it comes to maybe some spiritual healing or emotional healing with family members. And I think that's all that's possible at the end of life because time is so limited. Right. Somehow that limited time um, kind of lights a fire in our hearts, I think, to bring things forward. I love, too, how you said at the beginning that it's really the person coming to their God or spirit or sense of, mm, I don't know, spirit moving in them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a connection back to something they grew up with. And sometimes it's something new. And sometimes even if the person I imagine is an atheist, there's still this kind of opening and softening of the physical body that's just different at that time. Absolutely. And I I see people go very inward in those last days. I believe that they can hear us and there's still somewhat of a physical presence, but it's almost like this walking in between the worlds. And so I think that they do go into this deep place. And what I always describe to people, um, and this is part of what I feel like my job is as a doula is to protect that sacred space and keep the room as quiet and as peaceful as possible because I say they're doing their work. I I don't know what that work is. It's a very private thing, but I I see them. It's almost like they're making agreements or they're, they're recollecting and kind of moving through maybe what their, their life was and just taking stock. Um, Sometimes you'll see people maybe talking to someone that you can't see and there's hand movements and it's like, they're busy. And I feel like as a doula, I want to both experience that because I think it's so beautiful, but also protect it. I see myself as someone wanting to put my arms around and create a bubble around them. And um, because I feel like this is sacred work that they're doing. Beautiful. And, and, and can you, is there anything else you'd say about sort of, I, I feel like the term death doula or end of life doula is kind of coming into a more Um, more people are familiar with it. I think Mm -hmm. hospice has been something that people have been really moved by and palliative care and how Mm -hmm. those three weave together. I I don't know if there's anything more you would want to clarify. I I guess sometimes my experience has been that like the best of hospice is what you're talking about, that emotional care, but not not every hospice contract or hospice um, provider can give that kind of time. I think that's exactly it. I think that the reasons that they went into hospice may be similar because they have that heart for the work. But I think what happens is they they might have a really big caseload. And when you hire a doula, you're hiring that one doula to be there kind of uh, walking with you as a companion. So it becomes a little bit different. And like I mentioned before, so the hospice is more of a medical model And as a doula, I can't provide any kind of medical care. I don't give medicine. Um, I don't uh, bathe. I might help to um, help to position a body with someone else to make people more comfortable. But uh, most of our comfort care is by touch, by sound, um, music, by scent. Often I'll use essential oils and a diffuser. 
I love to create playlists for people. And um, in order for that to happen, I think it's important that doulas come in earlier rather than later so that we do gain that trust with the people that we're working with and we help to figure out what it is that really matters to them. So those last days are as beautiful as possible. I love that. Are there any, are there any, like, could you share kind of a specific story with us, some experience you've had where you kind of describe juggling these pieces for, for a dying person and their family? Sure. Uh, there's a, a patient that I worked with about a year or two ago. He was a younger gentleman in his forties and he was dying of a brain tumor. I came in when he was already uh, in like more of a sleeping phase of his death process. So I never actually got to speak with him. I definitely spoke to him, but we didn't have a lot of conversations. I was able to sit at the bedside with his wife and she was so thrilled because she didn't know that there was such a thing as a doula. She had hospice, but she found herself sitting alone and not really knowing how to navigate, you know, what she was seeing and feeling. And as a, as a doula, we can come in and say, you know, this is normal or how we try this and help to maybe alleviate some of her suffering and anxiety. What she taught me about him was what he loved. And so we were able to create an an environment in that room, in that bedroom that was very sacred to him. We had his favorite music. We had candles. Um, We were reading some passages from some of his greatest or best loved books And the beautiful part was that we were able to incorporate his two young children. They were eight and five, and they had done a beautiful job preparing their kids for this process. So they were there every step of the way. And when he did die, they were a big part of preparing his body. Uh, He was dressed in his Sunday best. Uh, They covered his body with flowers. And we created some rituals around that together. And I think speaking of ritual, I think that's the most powerful piece of this very end of life in this sacred space that we're talking about. Say, say more. Okay. When we were in the room with him and the children were, they were laughing and we were talking and it was a very lighthearted space. I decided that by leaving the room and entering again with a different energy would create something sacred. And I think what, what's beautiful about ritual is you're really making present what's already there, if that makes sense. So it was already the sacred space. And I think just by taking the moment to re-enter in silence, we were able to be more present with what, what was happening. Right. Wow. At that moment, I used uh, the anointing ritual that we learned with CDI. And I love to use that with a lot of my clients. And I'll often have family members join me in that process. And I think that for people to be able to join in the process of say something ritualistic or sacred with their loved ones is really empowering. So his two children did the anointing ritual themselves. Wow. And that anointing ritual that, that Lynn's talking about is really almost like going just step by step, starting with the eyes and the lips and the shoulders mm-hmm. and the arms and the hands and kind of speaking to those parts of the body, thanking them in just really simple right. language, but it's a beautiful, a beautiful um, 
ritual. Yeah, yeah. It is. That must have just had a huge impact on that um, wife and children. It really did. And on me too. Yeah. I think I cried the whole time. (laughs) It was beautiful. Uh, But I love about that ritual and I've used it when people are near death and after death. And when they're near death, I find that by touching each part of the body and thanking it, there's almost like a a letting go that can happen. Um, I think that's really a big part of that dying process is realizing that it may be time soon to leave the physical form. Well, and I think it's fascinating too, this, I'm going to state the obvious here, but you know, the dying person is letting go as are the people witnessing. And those people might be close family members or friends, or it might be someone dying in a hospital without family or friends present, but there's this sense of witness. And so there's letting go on, on all parts. I agree. How, how has COVID impacted your work? Uh, That's a great question. I recently had a client that died about two months ago at home and I was there with her caretaker, but there were family members that weren't able to be there because they were, um, they were quarantined. So we did a lot of things through FaceTime and they were so grateful to be a part of that. I think that, um, it was important for them to feel included. And I think that's a big part of, of what happens at the bedside is that you want people to feel that whether they're there physically or not, that their love and support is felt and seen and that um, they know that they're, that they matter. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow we, we can still do that across physical distance. It's just a little harder. Yeah. It's, it's almost, I, I, I'm so, you know, moved by, um, what's happening in the country and has been happening in, in our country and other places of people kind of taking, taking death into their own hands. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Do you see that in your work? I see that starting to change. And I think that one of my goals, and I, I think the goals of a lot of people who work in this industry is that we want to help to remind people that taking care of each other through birth into death is part of being human. And I think that we forgot that we know how to do that. And the times when I can be with family um, and individuals through their dying process, it's very empowering because there's, you can't do anything wrong, right? Just by being present and seeing what is and going with your heart that you can't mess up. And I think that uh, it's a good reminder when people work with doulas and they see that the things that we do are we're really providing comfort care and just making a lot of space for whatever comes up emotionally or spiritually. And I think that it's really empowering. I think it's really empowering. I'm just looking, I just came across a new book today that I was trying to find the title of, maybe you know, Heather sent it out to us and it's this new book off Princeton University. Um, Oh gosh, what's the title? Let me see if I can find it here quick. Heather sent it. It's called, um, oh, it's, it's called something like American Afterlives. And it has to do with how across the country, um, the author goes out and finds 
um, new ways that people are dealing with dying that are you know not necessarily new, but they're different than they've been 20, 30 years ago. So there's really an interesting movement afoot. And I think that um, people like you are such a deep, deep part of that. And that we have this possibility of, of, of owning our death in a way that um, maybe we don't always. And yet it's such a powerful transition. I agree with you. And I think that what we don't realize is that we have options. Right. Right. There's a lot of information out there. And I think the other important piece of that is the more we have these conversations before we're actually dying, then we're able to make those decisions. I think the worst time to make decisions about dying is when you're actually dying. So (laughs) I know that sounds really obvious. Time to plan for dying is not when you're dying. Yeah. Right. And which is unfortunate because a lot of people don't want to talk about it until I, I, I don't want to say too late, but a lot of, the, of uh, conversations aren't available when someone is really close to death. Right, right. I, I think often about how, you know, that, that I, I have fam- only heard families say they wish they had gotten palliative care or hospice or a doula sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, almost nobody says, oh, we, we, we were fine. We were just doing fine. Because I think we we struggle some as families and caregivers um, with how to get support. And I, I think there is support out there. So I think part of your message, part of my message with Best Life, Best Death is have these conversations, get the information, see what you can learn. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Although I have found that most recently, I need to learn how to slow my roll a little bit because I love this conversation and I don't always um, pay attention to the cues of people are really uncomfortable about talking about this and I want to dive in on your first visit. (laughs) I know, or not even at a dinner party, you know, this is something I'd love to talk about. And and I don't see it as something that would make us die sooner the more we talk about it. I think that what happens is we get to live better and more full lives when we are more clear about what matters to us. And that includes how we want to die. Um, But so what it teaches me, like I said before, is to meet people where they're at. And so to try to have these conversations, even if it just starts with little ways, I find that some of my clients don't really want to talk about what they want or what feels unfinished, but they might want, say, a legacy project finished. And so I find ways through other conversations to go a little deeper and start to peel back the layers and help people figure out what really matters to them. And again, it may not be what I hope for, but that's okay. If I can help even a little bit for maybe some healing with family or for someone to die with as much ease as I can, then it feels worth it to me. I love it. I love it. This meet people where they're at and and through conversation, see if things can be a little more empowered, a little more direct, a little a little more positive and how can that not be and how can that not be good for us and our loved ones at the end of our lives well lynn is going to um be part of a special evening at best life best death on wednesday november 10th 5 p.m mountain time 
Uh, she'll be talking about this same kind of work. At Death's Door, a doula discusses bedside vigils. So I look forward to that also, Lynn. Thank yeah, you. I can't so wait. Much. Thank you, Diane. This was great. I enjoyed it. Wonderful. This is Diane Hullett, and this has been the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in.